I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas, brought to you by Mr. LaCour. Red Wing Shoes. Yes, brought to you by Red Wing Shoes. This is episode 40. We have turned the big 4-0, my friend. And now if we turn the big 4-0, we have an awesome sponsor sponsoring our show right now. So if you're in the oil field, you know Red Wing boots, right? I own a pair of Red Wing steel toes. Uh, but Red Wing is so much more than just steel toe boots. Um, they do a lot of PPC. And uh, James, you know what PPC stands for? Um, I want you to tell me, is it PPC or E? I'm is sorry, I... PPE. Yeah. Yeah, so PPE. What is it? Educate me, like usual. Personal protection equipment. Right. So think of things like um, work gloves, flame-resistant clothing, FR type of stuff, uh, safety glasses, anything that helps protect you while you're out there in the field. Red Wing, not only do they manufacture, not only do they provide that sort of stuff, but it's some of the highest quality stuff in the industry. So we're very, very happy to have Red Wing as our first sponsor on This Week in Oil and Gas. Yeah, I, I'm very excited. I've been having a lot of really great conversations with the sales team, with with all kinds of people throughout their organization. They are a fantastic organization committed to quality and and we've said this before we were only going to take on sponsors that we believed in and this is one that we can thoroughly believe in yeah we we totally believe in them right it's good people doing good stuff for the oil and gas industry certainly by the way i'm james Hahn the second from tribrocket.com we are basically a sales driven marketing firm i guess you could say uh, we're not sales trainers, but we, uh, well, let me just put it this way. We're not marketers. We're sales guys who are damn good at marketing. What about you, Mark? Yeah, Mark with com. we are a market research company. So if you have a product or service and you want to figure out how to sell it into the oil and gas industry, we'd go out there and do the legwork and be able to help you figure that out. Yep. And then I would come in and help you shape that message. So we talked about Red Wing. I, I would love to talk about Red Wing the whole show, but this is the first Friday Q&A, but it's a little bit of a combo show because finally the people got what they want, Mr. LaCour. The people got what they want. You yeah, have given them your top 10 business drivers for 2016. So we got to start there. Yeah, you know, we make these predictions every year, and I think the first time I did it, maybe two people listened to it. I think one was my mom. And now <laughs> it's got to the point where people are reaching out to me months ahead of time going, Mark, damn it, when are you going to release the business driver? So it's just – it's it's funny to me to see the the attention to this sort of stuff grow. It's, well, it's just a testament to your genius that I don't have that we'll get to in the review section. <laughs> Once again. Uh, but no, let's 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 just jump right into it because we have a lot to cover both in terms of the drivers and in terms of the questions that people have come in with. So your number one driver is interest rates. You mean Fannie Mae mortgage interest rates? What do you mean? <laughs> no, I mean Fed, federal interest rates. We actually think the Fed's going to finally hike interest rates, which is going to increase the cost of capital um, in the oil and gas industry. Now, if you think about that, most of the smaller operators who have hedged their business, their hedging has run out. So now you actually increase the cost of them borrowing money, which is not a good scenario in this low crude market. So unfortunately for a lot of the smaller guys that might be over leveraged, this is probably not something good, but we think it's a, a major business driver in 2016. So I don't want to answer one of the questions too early, but this is, is that the M&A season is, is probably going to finally happen. You know, in a major we, way? This is not one of our predictions, and we kind of need to stay on track. But we, we think the M&A thing is not going to hit 
like we thought it was for, for a variety of reasons that we can do. We can do that on another show. Yeah. All right. So interest rates and over leveraged companies probably, uh, pr- probably, yeah, not so good for the smaller guys. And then also just reiterating the point of think long term and don't get over leveraged. Right. Operational okay. excellence. We talk about it a lot, but it it just well, I think you know. Obviously, more and more journalists listening to the show and just writing articles off what you're saying. So give them some articles. Yeah, so, so operational excellence is, is a philosophy on how you take all of your business and make it work together in the most efficient way possible with a culture of continuous improvement. Got started automotive, low crude prices are going to force um, the, the, especially the upstream operators to adopt operational excellence. So we think it's going to be number two business driver in 2016, operational excellence. So operational excellence, we've talked about operational excellence versus efficiency. Is this at the, the, the white collar level or is this at the, at, at the drill bit level? This is at the corporate level, right? This has to be um, developed, bought in, and sold by the executive team. So it's a go from the top of the company to the bottom of the company. And just practically speaking, what's one th- one point of operational excellence that someone might improve? Uh, continuous improvement. So once you increase efficiencies in whatever process it is, you're not finished. Now you start looking how to increase more. So that culture, that mindset of always looking ways to make things better is something that needs to change in this industry. Testify. All right. You got talent listed as number three, and yeah. and and is is it is it the shortage of of skilled trades or what? How do you mean? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. People think there's not enough. There's too much too much talent in this industry because of all the layoffs. But the layoffs are only affecting upstream and the service companies that touch upstream. There is a huge shortage of skilled labor in the world in the oil and gas industry, especially around downstream. We're talking about pipe fitters, machinists, welders, and that shortage of skilled talent is going to be a business driver. Companies are going to look at major CapEx projects and go, you know what? I don't believe that I can get enough welders to complete this project, so I'm going to push this project out. Or I realize that I have to increase the cost of what I'm paying for welders so I can complete this project. So number three business driver in 2016 is talent. So quick follow-up on that one, sort of self-serving. Mark, do you have a podcast coming out about talent and careers? I think we do. So <laughs> folks out there that have been asking us for an More additional content, yeah. listen, and we have another podcast coming out about careers in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, it's called the Oil and Gas Careers Podcast at the beginning. This is the show for anyone looking for a career in oil and gas. Uh, tell them what we did yesterday, Mark, because it was a marathon. We did five episodes knowing that people um, binge listen to us. So instead of us just releasing one and you had to wait a week, we just go ahead and help you out and release five at one time. Yeah, so the first five hopefully will come out next Tuesday. We will keep you posted on that and we'll be able to help that business driver of talent. What about export? You talking about oil exports or import you know, export type so stuff? Number four business driver is export. Now, the U.S., it, it, it took me a while to see this. The U.S., um, uses 20 million barrels of crude a day, right? 20 million barrels a day. But we actually internally don't consume 20 million barrels a day. Right now we consume about 14. That delta, that difference, that 6 million barrels a day, we export that as refined goods. So ethylene, methanol, um, you know, all the petrochemical products you can think of, we export that. And the U.S. has the largest and most robust refining capacity in the world, bar none. So I actually think this is the beginning of maybe even a new segment in the oil and gas industry, right? So maybe we no longer have upstream, midstream, downstream, and service. Maybe we have upstream, midstream, downstream, service, and export. 
We're going to start exporting refined goods all around the world because with the raw feedstock, the crude natural gas, we have it cheaper here than anywhere else. And we can refine it and turn it into petrochemicals or fertilizer plastics better than anybody else in the world. So I think we're going to start supplying the world with export products. And I think that's going to be a number four business driver in 2016 is export business. What could someone do if they're on Google and they want to f- – because I track this, and I'm asking this personally because I don't want to track this story throughout the, the, the coming year. So am I just going to be searching for petrochemical export or wh- – wh- No, the easiest thing to do, Google um, ethylene crackers and look at all the money being put into that and then look at all the output of uh, plastics, of all the ethylene, and then look at the market of the U.S., we had, it could be something like, I think, 1,500 times the needs of the U.S. So obviously all these ethylene crackers are planning on exporting this ethylene globally because we can't use that much. Yeah, that's got to go somewhere. And, well, yeah, and, and these, these people aren't stupid. They're, they're investing money. They have a long-term strategy. They know that this is going to be a profitable business for them to be in is to export petrochemicals. So just real quick, if anybody's a new listener, uh, can you just real quick summarize? We do have still the export ban on crude oil. But this doesn't apply to the rest of the natural gas and these right. things. So the ban only affects crude. Once it's refined, even just a little bit, it then um, can be exported in the U.S. So condensate is um, being exported right now. And the, the, um, the government said, OK, yes, that counts as a refined product. <laughs> the way it's refined is it, it, it forms on the outside of um, some piping, sort of like um, when you have a cold glass of water and uh, droplets form on the outside like it sweats. That's what condensate is. So they're considering that refining. So you can't refine crude, raw crude, but you can refine uh, refined products. And we think that's going to be a, a growing business driver in this industry. All right, perfect. Well, so the next one, this is so exciting. I'm going to throw this one in here because it really relates. And there's a few different questions. So we're, we'll we'll kind of take a pause with the, the few different questions. But he, he he wants you to hit on crude prices. And I know you got crude prices coming next. So let's go over and 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 say say hello to our friend. Um, I'm gonna again butcher his name because that's just what I do apparently. Um, it, but let me uh, let me pull it up right here. So thank you, Leonid Mirianov, for our very first very first uh, um, voicemail. So we've been asking everybody to send us the voicemails. He went on the website, clicked the button. So we got our first voicemail. It ties in with your next driver. So let's just play that right now. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. Huge fan of the show. And a uh, huge thank you to Mark for his uh, forecast uh, this time last year. Um, I wanted to start by asking about the oil price once again. Sorry, sort of <laughs> that we have to come back to this, but it is obviously such a crucial matter for everybody in the business, sort of these days. Um, you have mentioned before that you expect the prices to sort of improve by uh, mid next year, around about, right? Um, I was just checking out the futures curve, and uh, you know the futures curve for Brent looks quite grim, and like the only, it only starts popping up above 50 bucks a barrel by by mid-2017. So I was wondering if you could please restate your key drivers for the oil market for next year. So, and to sort of see where the market is coming from and also what you think the market is missing the most. And the second question is on deals. Do you think um, the deal spree is going to continue? And I would call it spree. I mean, there's been a lot of deals this year, right? Um, specifically, do you think Shell BG deal is going to get closed? Because it seems like BG keeps 
trading at a discount to the um, proposed shell takeout price. So does that mean that the market is thinking that maybe there is something not quite right with the approval process or is there something else to it? And secondly, on the smaller companies, do you think uh, they can survive or do they have to be bought up by the larger ones or merge between themselves? Uh, thank you very much, guys. Once again, huge Huge fan of the show, I assume he said. <laughs> so um, thank you very much for that, uh, Leonid. Lots of questions there, Mark. Um, just start with the crude, though. Yeah, so the first thing you asked was, was it's about the curve for Brent. And Brent is uh, the crude that comes out of um, the North Sea. Um, it's actually named after a goose. Um, and so he's, at, he's talking about how a lot of the analysts out there are saying uh, Brent's going to be relatively um, flat till, till 2017. And what did they miss that I think I caught? And it's two things. One is the increased growth in consumption in India, and the other thing is the Chinese um, consumption of crude has not leveled out. It's still growing, just not in the same place. So I think what's going to happen as far as the curve is we're going to stay relatively low prices with a, a very, very, and I mean very marginal increase in price um, from now through first and second quarter of 2016. And I think in third quarter of 2016, around August, prices are going to jump up to $60 a barrel. And it's going to be quick. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be fast. And once that oversupply is gone, prices are going to shoot up. And it may actually have a rebound effect. We may actually hit 75 or 80 for a little while until it settles around $60 a barrel. Um, the, the next thing he asks is about the, uh, the Shell BG approval, why it seems like it's taken so long. It's not really. These are two major companies that have to get approval from a lot of big governments around the world. It, this, is, this is just the process it takes to, to merge something of this magnitude. And then um, he also asked about the smaller players. Are they, are, are they all going to get snatched up by the bigger players to low crude price? And it depends on the individual situation. Um, you know, we predicted last year that this would be the record year for mergers and acquisitions, and we were wrong. A lot of that money is out there sitting on the sidelines, and a lot of people think that, that we haven't hit rock bottom. And, of course, we do at Motor Point Bleak. We hit rock bottom. So it's going to depend on the company. There's some small companies out there, um, and we were talking about this in the job podcast, that are hiring right now in Upstream because they're in a good place financially. There's some small companies and even some larger companies out there that were mismanaged from the beginning and couldn't help but make money when it's $100 a barrel, and right now they're underwater. So um, you're going to see some M&A activity, but I think that perfect storm that I saw coming in 2014 for 2015 just didn't happen. So I don't think we're going to have the huge M&A activity like I thought we were. All right. So there's a lot that's going to be going into all of that. It's going to be a case-by-case basis. I love it. And I love the fact that we got our first voicemail. I hope we get many, many more. Let's move on. Yeah, come on, folks. Uh, go go to the website and James find the link and leave us a voicemail. How easy is that? Plus, you get um, we'll broadcast you on the air. You might get discovered by Hollywood or somebody. <laughs> Hollywood, baby, yeah. Uh, so speaking of Hollywood, um, uh, they do a lot of technology out there, but not not quite the technology we have here in this industry. No one has the technology we have. So, what do you mean by technology? So I've never seen the adoption of new technology happen as fast as it's happening right now, and I think that pace is going to speed up. This low crude price is going to force efficiencies, and technology uh, is one of the ways that you can improve efficiencies throughout the organization, right? So um, the analytics of big data, um, things like um, the digital oil field, um, the the data-driven drilling instead of just a spray-and-play method, right? Um, So all of that's going to come together. Data is going to be um, one of the bigger business drivers in oil and gas in 2016. So you think it's going to be an environment where even in low crude prices – SaaS companies, and I'm not going to mention any by name, but all, there's a set, there's a bunch of analytics companies, a bunch of big data type companies uh, springing up. Not not just the 
IHSs and drilling infos of the world. I said I wouldn't name them, but you know, those are those are kind of the two big that you think of right away. But there's a ton of other pl- people out there like that. So, do you think that technology of that kind can can actually grow? Uh, even- well, when I say when you say drilling info, that's an upstream play data repository that they sell access to. Big data is actually large amounts of data throughout the enterprise that people have trouble um, utilizing to make business decisions. Oh, so, so you're, you're talking about more at the corporate level adoption. I'm talking about the, the definition of big data, which is literally think of somebody like Chevron. Think of every Word document on every computer of every employee that works at Chevron. Think about what's in those Word documents, right? It might be a, a way to drill a well. It might be the best way to hire somebody. But can nobody in Chevron can see all that data. Mm, data is the ability to go out and look at all those Word documents, analyze it, figure out what's going on, and say, okay, this information goes in upstream. This information goes in HR. Nobody's doing that right now. We're, the the constraint is analytics. The oil and gas industry has always been a big data industry. We've always had large uh, sets of data, but we can't analyze it. So companies like Tipco, Tipco Software, okay. they're one of the people leading that. Um, as far as whether SaaS, SaaS is just a way to deliver technology. Um, a few years ago, the oil and gas industry didn't touch it because they wanted the technology to sit behind their firewall on their prem. Uh, now SaaS is making great inroads because it's efficient, right? You don't have to worry about data centers, servers, updates. Um, somebody else does that for you. So, um, you know, when, when, but but big data, especially around drilling, um, data data-driven drilling. That's going to be big in the next couple of years because of the low crew prices. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that, that clarification because that is, that's a very key distinction. Natural gas. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? It's <laughs> everywhere. We have boatloads of it. It's dirt cheap. Um, and, and we're doing some really cool stuff, right? So uh, us in Europe are switching from coal-fired electrical plants to natural gas, which automatically cuts pollution by 50%. Um, we're developing all these LNG plants. So you basically take the gas and compress it to a liquid so that you can move it. The rest of the world has a huge appetite for LNG. Um, it's it's just, it's going to be a major business driver in 2016. It was a major business driver last year, and I suspect it'll be a major business driver in 2017. So let me just play the devil's advocate for the person that's sitting out there going, well, how could that be, Mark? Because natural gas prices aren't rebounding. And there was this lunatic on Forbes that said that it needed to be $6 for it to go in the Haynesville to be blah, blah, blah. Right. So, right. Uh, so, so how, how can we, how can, how can it be a driver if it, the price is, is still so low? Because of efficiencies, we, people are making money at, at $3.50 a billion cubic foot, you can see a whole bunch of people jump into the gas business because the technologies have um, are in place now that you can actually make good money at 350. Whereas just a few years ago, you needed six bucks to make good money. So as you lower your costs, the price that you sell of that can be cheaper and you can still make a good profit. Perfect. So we've talked, uh, you even mentioned right then a couple of different things about globalize, globalization. I can't speak today. Uh, and we've talked about it before. So shifting global markets, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so things are changing in the world in the oil and gas market. So think about it. You're starting to have the Middle East sell oil and gas to Europe. That has never happened. That's always been Russia's market. Well, Russia's losing that market share. So now Russia's having to sell uh, crude natural gas to Asia Pacific. Once again, that's never happened before. All right? China is buying crude like crazy. Just like the U.S., China has a strategic reserve, and they're filling that strategic reserve. But interesting to me, for the first time ever, they're building refineries left and right. And the reason I think is they see the U.S. export business coming, and they want a piece of that. They want to be able to refine crude and export the refined products like we're doing. Uh, even um, Saudi Arabia is building refineries. A lot of people may not know this, but the Middle East, even though they produce a ton of crude, 
Um, they don't produce hardly any refined products, so they import their jet fuel and gasoline and diesel. Well, the Middle East is building refineries not to meet their own need, but they also see this future market export goods. So um, you're literally seeing global shifts in the monetization and the markets of the oil and gas industry. And that's great. Anytime there's movement like there, it's opportunity, especially for companies that can help in that area. So I'm glad you brought up one point. And I don't want to go way down this this geopolitical rabbit hole, but you said Russia and and recently Russia cut off gas supply to Ukraine and and obviously that flows through Ukraine into Europe. So are they now buying that from Saudi Arabia no, from the Middle East or what's what's going what on there? Happened, what happened and, and the news threw it all out of proportion. What happened is is Russia what really happened is Ukraine uh, did not pay their gas bill. And just like at your house, if you don't pay your gas bill, the, the gas company goes out and cuts your gas off. That's what Russia did, cut their gas off. And what's really going on is some contract negotiations, right? Um, and the, the media blows it all out of proportion. It didn't affect the Europe, the uh, delivery of gas to Europe. That's still going on. It just affected what happened in Ukraine. And, and it's, it's a negotiation tactics, it really is. So those terminals are still running things to Europe? Yeah, so things are still being shipped to Europe, but Europe's buying less gas from Russia than it used to. And once our LNG plants come online, it's they're going to buy even less um, gas from Russia. I, you know, a lot of people, if you're my age, um, I was in the Marine Corps and Ronald Reagan came to office. The genius that Ronald Reagan did is he looked at the world economy. He looked at what was going in the former Soviet Union and he goes, you know what? Yeah, maybe militarily we can keep up with them and, and maybe if something happened, we could take them, but it would be horrible and ugly. How about we just cut off their income? So Reagan passed some laws with the help of Congress, and that's what uh, had the uh, the drop in the price of crude. And it was ridiculous. I think it dropped down to nine dollars a barrel in the eighties. But Russia's economy it was, low was four at one point or something. I don't know. Yeah. It was low. But that was on purpose. Russia's economy was one hundred percent dependent on oil for money. So he basically bankrupt Russia, and they had to fall apart. It was genius. Now it hurt. It hurt the Americans, especially the small small independent operators. It hurt them a lot. But in the long run, it, it did something good for the world. Yeah, yeah, got rid of communism, at least in that area. Uh, still lots of that going on. But moving on. Um, uh, downstream, we talk about it a lot. Uh, let's talk about it some more because it's the, it's the great news story of our industry right now. We had our earnings show, what, two episodes ago, where we talked about ExxonMobil downstream earnings going up over 100% year over year in Q3. So talk about your, your, what you mean by downstream. Yeah, so uh, just to be, just to back up and clarify that, that was actually ExxonMobil's international petrochemicals division that grew 100% year over year. So once again, you can see that tie into petrochemicals, international, and making money. Mm. So our number nine business driver for 2016 is downstream. Downstream is where it's at. If you're a company and you're trying to sell stuff to oil and gas industry and you're not talking downstream, you might as well just quit. They're growing like crazy. There's money everywhere. They're spending money. They're buying stuff. They're building new facilities all over the place. So it's just crazy. You know, um, not not bragging by any means, but, you know, 2014 was a record year for us. By May of 2015 of this year, we did more than we did in 2014. And all we did is take our clients and point them toward downstream. So, um, you know, you see the stuff in the news about the layoffs and everything. That's not what's going on in downstream. Go follow the money, right? Fire. Follow the money. Yep. Hydrocarbon abundant world. What do you mean? I'm really curious about this one. Yeah, so that's number 10. For the first time, we're going to be in a hydrocarbon abundant world. So for my 20-odd years I've been in this industry, the, the, the gnawing voice in the back of everybody's head is, can we find more reserves? Can we find more oil? The growth and consumption is going up. Can we meet that growth? Is there enough? Peak oil, you know, all that sort of stuff. 
because of technology, we have, we're going to have the opposite problem for now and for, and for the immediate future where hydrocarbons are everywhere. There's not a shortage of hydrocarbons anywhere. And what this is going to do is it's going to trickle through the world's economy. So a lot of um, third-party countries, their standard of living is going to go up because they have access to cheap energy. And then the level of education is going to go up, level of medical care is going to go up. You can see disease and starvation start to disappear. The planet as a whole is going to benefit from this abund abundant hydrocarbon world. How cool is that? It's amazing. Is that due to a knowledge transfer from what we're doing here in America? Is that what's driving that? It's, it's so that's part of it, right? So the shell plays um, are are not unique geologically to the, to the U.S. What's unique is our understanding of how to to tap into that. That knowledge is going to start transferring. And then there's other well stimulation uh, techniques that are out there that are new that help in um, conventional reservoirs. So it's it's our technology has allowed us to free up more hydrocarbons we can use. Awesome. We're at it 20, is awesome. It is freaking awesome. I just want to jump up and down right now. But as you know, I'm I'm beneath my ceiling fan, so I don't want to hit my head. Uh, but yeah, Mark LaCour with his 10 drivers brought to you by Red Wing Shoes. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead. They're more than just shoes. Let's drop that Red Wing so that you know. Um, anyway, let's go over into the questions, though. We, we played one, but we've got plenty more to get through, and, and we don't want to make a, another hour and ten show where James is just rambling on about his life. Um, so RA, uh, undisclosed company, undisclosed title. He's an operated agreements manager. Happy December. I wanted to get your thoughts on the 2016 forecast in the Appalachian Basin, up where my grandma was from. There are there have there has fairly I'm sorry, there has been fairly significant movement as far as MA, both upstream and midstream. The word of the day in the region appears to be Utica. A few pioneering operators have had Utica test well success promoting lucrative figures in subsequent deals. What direction and duration do you foresee out? of this play. Do you see Utica's success drawing in another wave of out-of-region operators as the Marcellus did? Yeah, so RA, to answer your question, yes. <laughs> so the, the neat thing about Utica is it has um, both- We've um, called it the little end, the little play that could for a while, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it has both uh, liquids and gas plays, and liquids are still much more profitable, although gas, there's is a constant need for it. Um, the break-even has gotten pretty close to I think about $2.30 per uh, million cubic foot for gas. And right now it's about $3, so the profitability is there. And then um, there's a lot of momentum out in the Utica to build the infrastructure. And that's what is needed everywhere in any of the shell plays. Any place that you have constraints in infrastructure, it's hard for the operators to bring their products to market. Once the infrastructure is in place, you can actually bring the products to market, which encourages more growth. So I think you're spot on. I think we're going to see some good growth in the Utica. And, and on that point, and I can't remember, it's Ohio, Pennsylvania, and one more, West Virginia, they've all banded together to try and, 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 and push this growth. Yeah, and, and, and it, it needed to have happened, right? So if, if you're smart about this sort of thing, if you're a, a governor of a state and you realize there's a lot of, of, of profits to be made, which could drive prosperity and job growth, you want to help that for the benefits of the constituents in your state. So it's, um, you know, especially the past governor in Ohio, he did a lot of good work to help um, nurture the infrastructures that was needed so that operators come in and make money, which would create jobs and, you know, just good stuff all the way around. Yeah. So, so, all right, Utica, good stuff. All right, moving on. Uh, another name I'm going to totally butcher, I'm sure. Saspa Weiner, Weiner, one of those two, two words. Um, Institute of World Economics of this of the center 
for Economic and Regional Studies of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. We are we are getting pretty prestigious. Um, so he's a senior research fellow. Uh, dear Mr. LaCour, my name is Saba Weiner, uh, senior research fellow at the Institute of World Economics of the Center for Economic and Regional Studies of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. I watched one of your videos on YouTube, and it's uh, for anybody that doesn't know, I'll, I'll link it again just to embarrass Mark. It's the oil and gas <laughs> overview. Um, and I would like to ask for your help with clarification about the midstream segment. I'm wondering whether oil product terminals and oil product pipelines belong to the midstream in addition to cruel, crude oil transmission pipelines and crude oil terminals. I would also include them to this segment. However, you have not mentioned the terminaling and storage as part of the midstream segment. Thank you for your help. Best wishes, Saspa Weiner. You know what I love about this, James? So they actually reached out and asked us. Saba, I'm sorry. They yes. actually reached out and asked us instead of the usual um, research people who just listen to our stuff and then write their paper on what we say. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so hey. we're not, we'll give him this and now he could go run with the research. Yeah. So to answer, this is actually a really good question. So midstream is moving crude and natural gas, just basically the transportation. So a crude oil transmission pipeline and a crude oil terminal fits in midstream. However, Product terminals and product pipelines are moving the refined products of a of downstream. So a product terminal actually fits in downstream, not midstream, and a, a product pipeline fits in downstream, not midstream. Makes sense? It makes a ton of sense, and I love that question because I just learned something new. Awesome. It's pretty straightforward. Anything else to follow up on that? I'm sorry? I said pretty straightforward. Anything else to follow up? No. I, I mean, I appreciate them reaching out. I hope that was helpful. All right. Perfect. Cameron Hanover from Arc Products Inc. Uh, we were going to have uh, anyone who gave us the website, arcproductsinc.com, sales consultant. Here's this question. Do you see refrac continuing to be a growing part of the industry in 2016? Will chemical or mechanical, or chemical or mechanical diverting win, or will it end up being a combination of the two? Really enjoy the show. Please keep up the good work. Yeah, what a great question. So if you would have asked me this a year ago, I would have said in 2016, it's probably very few wells to be drilled and be all refracts. Um, if you look at the, the production curve of good refrac, it almost mimics the new well when it's done well. But that's not what's going to happen because if we've gotten so um, efficient in drilling new wells, so cheap, you can see a mix of refrac and uh, uh, new wells being drilled. You're not going to see one dominate the other. Um, and as far as chemical mechanical, it's going to depend on the play. Um, and you can see a mix of both. One will not uh, be the majority over the other. So I believe I know chemical because uh, just some basic knowledge that I have around that. When he says mechanical diverting, what exactly does he mean by that? That's repressurizing the well, right? That's, that's pumping water and sand, putting it under pressure, causing new fractures, pumping all that stuff out and going in production. Perfect. Bart Christer, my boy. Uh, been going back and forth with him on LinkedIn. He is from Terra, Guard Terra Guidance Sales Manager. Question, if Mark's price predictions are correct – Service companies like Terra Guidance will be undergoing rapid expansion during 2016. There are many places to find resumes and post jobs, but what site or method would you recommend for finding top talent? Thanks, Bart. We just talked about this a minute ago. We have a show <laughs> that's, that, that might help with this, but it's not going to be a website. So what do you got? 
So let me kind of correct Bart just a little bit. I, I do love this question, though. I, I I didn't predict that 2016 oil go back to $100 a barrel. So I wouldn't say you can have rapid expansion. I think you will have growth, especially the very end of 2016, first quarter of 2017. Um, as far as I'm finding talent, it's so funny how people um, have adopted uh, things like social media, and yet the moment they want to hire somebody, they go back to 1997 and look at Monster. Um, the way to have talent is to have it uh, geared up and have a connection with people before you need to hire them. So you have a pool of talent. So you could easily, and I mean, James probably could help you all this part. You could easily um, have some um, really high quality content, like, you know, what's the top 10 things you need to know if you want a job in oil and gas, and, in, and put that out there and have people. Um, give you their email address and their contact information and stay in touch with them. You know, you can automate a lot of that where you're giving them good information and you can figure out what their backgrounds is. They'll tell you, right? Cause you're giving them good content. Then when you have a need for talent, you have a pool of it right there. Trying to go out in one place like LinkedIn or monster or what's what's not just doesn't work in 2015 as well as it used to. I love that answer from the, from the employer side. Absolutely. Content. It can be a phenomenal way to, to attract talent. Not, not only, I think a lot of people think, if they think content in this industry, they naturally think leads and sales, which is the number one thing I think of, but it's also a great way to attract talent. But then on the flip side of that, you should personally, I think every person should have their own website, even if it's, it doesn't have to be triberocket.com or modalpoint.com, but someplace where they're sharing their thoughts that isn't LinkedIn, um, that, that Google can find because just the same way that employers can attract employees, employees can attract employers through Google searches. So yeah, good it's something to think about. All right. Uh, Patrick, Patrick Pister from Cedril had a really awesome conversation with Patrick the other day, learned what goodwill means. <laughs> um, Mark, yeah, our, Patrick, Patrick is very active on social media. Him and I, I've never, I don't think I've met him in person, but we're either on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, always going back and forth. So good job, Patrick, adopting new technologies. Yeah. And it's and so, using them effectively. Definitely using them effectively. So he's an operations engineer. Here's his question. With everything in the upstream oil and gas sector cutting costs, where do you see companies, for example, operators and drilling contractors increasing their spending on third-party services? If you're selling to the big guys, where are the growth opportunities in 2016? Great question, Patrick. It's um, it, it, the answer really comes down to a couple things: technology, right? So there's a growth in sensors behind the wellhead. There's a growth in analyzing big data to do data drilling. There's a growth in stuff called fog computing, um, you know, high performance computing for the upstream. So even though all that costs money and they're spend money, what it does is it literally drives operational efficiencies in this low crude price environment. Everybody has to improve their operational efficiency. So you can see a lot of the big upstream guys making technology investments in 2016, even though their profits have shrunk. The other thing that you can see is, especially here in the U.S., is anything to do with water, right? Ways to use less water, um, ways to clean that water up, ways to uh, put that water back into the system. That's being driven two things. One is there's a lot of um, um, uh, municipalities around the country who – uh, if the water's not used properly, we'll, we'll start having an anti-fracking sediment. And, and we know that. The industry knows that. So if we get ahead of that curve and we, we, we can be a good manager of water, then we don't have that problem. The second thing, quite honestly, is our impact, our impact in the environment, only guys, is important to everybody in here. We don't want to waste water. We don't want to cause pollution. So there's another place where you'll see money being spent. Um, and when you think about stuff like that, it, it, things that money's going to be spent on things you may not think of. 
things like pipelines, right? It's so much safer and cheaper for you to move uh, uh, salt water or, or frac fluids or whatever in a pipeline other than do it in a truck. So a lot of uh, these fields out, you can see um, operators pull together and spend money on putting pipeline infrastructure in to move that water around because it's just more cost effective. Yeah, I heard a saying a long time ago that, that stuck with me. If you want to be successful in life, you find a hole in the market and fill it. And even in upstream, there are definitely holes. Yeah, 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 yeah by far. Huge, huge. All right. I was I was a little nervous about this first question that you sent me straight, or this last question, I should say, because it's about NAEP, which everyone knows I love NAEP, the North American Prospects Expo. It's coming up in Denver, uh, 9th through the 10th of December. And so Jeff from Channel Energy LLC, he's the VP of Finance, and obviously trying to decide what to do with his budget. Are you going to NAEP Denver this year? Do you think it will be a worthwhile use of time? Will deals get done or will it be a place to complain about oil prices and drink beer? Love this. I love this question. <laughs> so um, I, I'm guessing, Jeff, because you're the VP of finance, that you're looking to see whether you approve some travel budget for this. It depends. It depends on your people. So if your people do the work required up front, look at who's attending NAEP, see who they want to get in touch with, reach out to them, and then use NAEP to cement that relationship and talk about business, then by all means, it's worth it. NAEP is where deals are done. If your guys don't want to do the work ahead of time and think they're going to walk into NAEP and just wander around with a beer in a hand and stumble across a deal, that's not going to be worth your money. So like almost everything else in life, if even conferences, if, if you put the work in, it could be very fruitful. If you don't want to put the work in, it, it, it won't pay off. Yeah, you just got to do your research ahead of time and your network is your net worth. Go in there and have a plan, execute it, and you'll do great. So those are our questions. I hope they were helpful. We're at 38, so we're right on time. Um, I'm going to throw in an onion of the week which is Realtor was not expecting such hard-hitting questions about water pressure. Mark's not going to find that hilarious. I do because that's the number one question I'm going to be asking my Realtor as soon as I move out of this place I'm in right now. <laughs> um, so uh, moving on, though, to events. We talked about just now NAEP Denver happening from, let's say, the 9th to the 10th. So what is that, next Tuesday and Wednesday? And there's probably some some pre-NAEP stuff going on up there in Denver. If you're looking for a reason to, to go up to the Mile High State um, that doesn't involve recreational things that happen there, um, head on up there. And we've got another one up here, uh, the Digital Oil Field USA Summit. And I want you to talk about this, Mark, because you said that this is something that's going to be a major, major thing moving forward. Yeah, so the rest of the world calls it IO2, Internet of Things. Well, gas industry, of course, wants to name it, whatever, its own name, so it's digital oil field. Digital oil field is at its infancy, right? We just now got to the place where we have the communications, think Wi-Fi, the sensors, and the desire to actually wire up wells, right, so we can see what's happening in real, real time. And I don't just mean on land, but I mean underwater. Shell's done a lot of work in this in the North Sea, and it's paid off immensely for them. So this is this is a the uh, this is not going to be a large conference by any means, but I think this is the beginning of a what will be a huge conference in five years, um, because the digital oil field is here and it's coming, and it, the the um, the driver is this low crude price. So um, if you want to get in early and understand something that can impact your business, you need to go to this. So that's happening in Houston at the Wyndham Houston West Energy Corridor, also December seventh through the ninth. Let's go ahead and I'll read our review. We have one review this week, Mark. Okay. 
Would you guess what it is? It's a glowing review on our podcast, and they tell us to do a great job. It's another person that hates me and loves you. <laughs> uh, it's a real short one. Dub 21. Maybe he's 21 because he has such a negative life philosophy. Maybe he needs to work on that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so Dub, Dub 21 says uh, four stars. So this, I always love when they hate me and give four stars anyway. Four stars. Your life wasn't that bad, dot, dot, dot. And then the actual review says, less James, more Mark. <laughs> Thanks for that, Dub21. Yeah, you, you, but we do love the review. I love, I love all reviews, and I love haters. I hug them. Let's hug it out. If, if I ever see you, Dub21, let's hug it out. Um, and then also LinkedIn. The LinkedIn, um, before I throw this to you, Mark, it's, they've totally redone the groups. It's freaking awesome. You can put pictures in there now. And they've got a new groups. If, if you don't know about this, people, there, there's they, they sort of rolled it out quietly. There's a new groups app in the App Store. You just you know go download it to your phone. And you and I, Mark, were complaining a little bit a couple of weeks ago offline just about LinkedIn and oh they're not you know investing in the the best things that they're at. And they turned around and changed a bunch of stuff. So they changed a bunch of stuff, like just the regular app change. Oh, my phone was like, "Whoa, what is this?" But it's cool and it's useful. So, folks, if you listen to podcasts, we have a sister to the podcast is our LinkedIn group. It's a way for you to interface with your oil and gas peers and actually get um, questions to James and I, and actually have James and I answer you. I've seen James actually help people. Oh, I, I, just last week, I, uh, just a few days ago, I was I was giving. Um, web design psychological tips on how to get more conversions through the colors that you use. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah, a good so time. If you, to pod, if you listen to podcasts, go join the group. You'll be glad you did. Yeah. So, um, oh, I, and I forgot to mention. So if you'd like to leave a horrible review about how much you hate me and love Mark, you can go to triberocket.com forward slash TW reviews. And if you want to go join our LinkedIn group, we would love to have you. It's triberocket.com forward slash LinkedIn we got to wrap with Red Wing because I'm, I'm just fired up to be having such a great relationship going with these guys. Um, Mark, might we have some things coming in the future from Red Wing? Yeah, so people, stay tuned. I think we're going to have some really cool giveaways. But the only way that you can get included on these giveaways from Red Wing is you have to listen to the show so you can know what's going on. Yeah, know what's going on because I actually know what we have to give away, and it's pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, James, what's so cool about Red Wing sponsoring a podcast, I'm not sure if you know this, you know that company's like over 100 years old. I know that, and and it's not only cool because I'm a huge Detroit Red Wings fan, and there's no association there other than the name, but also I grew up in Michigan. I used to right. go when I was a young guy, and I was talking about that in the pocket. I used to go to the Red Wing shoe store. That's where my dad got his wingtips. Right. <laughs> you know, he's out there selling. So, so it's it's you know this circle of life, the three sixtyness of it all. It's really awesome. I'm yeah. very excited. I think it's just a big honor that a hundred year old company with the prestige of Red Wing looked at our podcast and said, "You know what? We want to be a sponsor." So, Red Wing, thank you. Thank you, Red Wing. Thank you, listeners, for continuing to tune in. As we said before, this is not going to be a NASCAR jacket type of a thing. We're only bringing you products and services and people that we believe in, and we're going to continue delivering the high-quality content from Mark's mouth that you've become accustomed to over the 40 episodes. 4-0. So we're right here at our 45-minute mark, which is perfect. Let's get out of here, Mark. All right. Do great work. Pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys.
When I walk in the room, man, this beat should be playing. Mark, look who we made it. 